You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. Welcome to the episode of Topco's Business Unusual podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Zietzman. He's the CEO of SnapScan. Um, I think you must be the youngest guy on this podcast so far. Well, you look it anyway. You're looking good, Chris. So welcome to uh, Topco's podcast. I, I don't even know where you're sitting. I, I'd imagine it's Cape Town somewhere. Uh, sitting in a very empty office. Um, <laughs> that, okay. That's where I'm in Cape Town. <laughs> Okay, we've just got everybody back into our office. I think we've got one person out of the office now, so we've we've migrated everybody back. Is that is that a strategy for the future to sort of create this work from home more environment, or are you amping for them to come back, or are they just taking a half a day off? You're doing so well. Um, doing well, uh, which requires even more work to be put in. Um, I think uh, as a company, we've we've just. Actually, as many other tech companies in the world, realize the benefit of just being able to provide people with flexibility around where and when they work. Um, and we've, we've seen the benefit of that. Um, I think from a, a risk perspective, we, we're still kind of having everyone work from home, um, allowing a few people into the office um, on a daily basis, but not really pushing people to come back just yet. Um, we figured out a bunch of like the, the communication problems around working remote um, and things are working quite nicely at the moment uh, to the point where I think it would almost be disruptive to all of a sudden just bring everyone back into the office on day one. Shame man and I was going to ask I mean you're talking about technologies because everybody wants to know how you're hacking it so uh, what are you guys using what 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 tech stack are you using to communicate what, um, what is the process? Yeah so I mean the, the teams all have, have various um, uh, you know, platforms that they use. In general, we, we're pretty much on Slack. Uh, so company-wide comms happens on Slack and we do phone calls with uh, external parties with whatever um, uh, app they want to use. Internally, we're on, on Google G Suite. So um, yeah, and then I think our dev team uses Discord quite a bit um, to, to have chat rooms. So. Uh, a bit of bit of everything, to be honest. Cool, man. Well, so it's it's certainly great to have you on the podcast, and um, you know, I, I think there was a whole bunch of things that I wanted to go through. But but obviously, you know, tell us about your journey first of all to to become the CEO of SnapScan. I mean, it's quite an exciting organisation. Some got some great things that you're doing and really relevant. But I mean, you know, you. You, you, you came from like the CFO and then joined as the CEO. But before that, even, how did yeah. you get into this role? Um, so I think after, um, after school, I did what all my friends um, did, uh, which was to go and study accounting because uh, somewhere we heard that if you're an auditor, uh, you make a lot of money. <laughs> um, so, so all of us uh, kind of packed our bags and, and studied accounting for four years. Um, where a bunch of my friends uh, went to work at, at big firms uh, in Joburg. I 
decided to come to a smaller firm in Cape Town um, that had a, a number of family businesses and just a, a big range of businesses that they, they audited. So I did my, my three-year articles there um, in, at the bottom of Long Street at, at Second Long. So I spent a lot of time there for about three years. What was the company? Um, uh, they were PKF at, at the time, the okay. PDO now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so after that, uh, qualified as a CA, I uh, went to work for one of my clients at the time, which is a, a company called Ellie's um, Electronics, uh, listed on the JSE. Um, did that for two years um, and it kind of got to that stage and the realization, I think, that a lot of CAs get to is where they go, surely this can't be the rest of my life. Um, and had a, a very uh, incidental dinner with my friend Corbus Ehlers, who had just started SnapScan uh, about 18 to 20, well, 24 months be- before that time. Um, had a few conversations. Um, they realized that they needed someone in a financial capacity. And that's kind of where I, I landed as CFO at, at SnapScan towards end of 2015. Wow. So, I mean, who was who the mentor that told you to go and join PKF? Because it's, it's so unusual that um, people are brave enough to go and almost do the dirty work and not so worried about the reputation of where they're going, but more about what they're going to do. Yeah, I think um, it, one of the best calls I've ever made, um, it, just just in terms of the, the mindset um, I had adopted in, in order to make that, that change. Um, but it was actually just me and my varsity roommates uh, who, who got a bit fed up about all the, the individuals who had signed these big contracts with Deloitte and KPMG and PwC during our, our studies. And he, him and I were just not interested. Um, and to be honest, we just left it for too late. So we didn't get a spot at one of the big firms. Uh, ended up at BKF and, and met some really fantastic um, uh, people in the accounting industry there uh, that I still um, catch up with uh, every now and then. For sure. So, I mean, you had this dinner. I mean, you obviously had a good relationship with him before that. Was he one of the school friends or varsity friends? or? or... Yeah, so, so we met in Res. Um, in in uh, Stellenbosch, yeah. So Quibbs and I were were friends already, but um, I think we 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 became much better friends and, and saw one another more frequently after we started working together. Um, and in the first year in in Snapscan, uh, the one of the objectives of of me joining was also to just get the company to a stage where we could do a sale to to Standard Bank, uh, which is now um, one of our biggest um, controlling shareholders. Um, and so we worked fairly closely in, in that first year and, and him and I still continue to, to work fairly closely. Um, we've also, as Snapscan, made an investment into to Quibus and his co-founder's um, new venture called Radar, which is a, a, a cloud-based HR and um, uh, payroll tool. I saw that. That was interesting as well because we do the future of HR. So I was like, wow, that's another opportunity um there that's your, the that's your next is, podcast <laughs> yeah maybe i don't know maybe yeah um i know i think what we're seeing is actually hr professionals becoming so significant through covid that's what we saw before hr was and it was like a nice to have so the hr department would go to the board and say we've got to look after our staff and have these programs and they sort of were laughed at in many ways until google sort of 
demonstrated and then the Amazons, like we got to look after our people and then that was a differentiator. But now we're seeing like at Sunlum, some of our ex-alumni, they, they're the ones hiring the CEO, they're the ones hiring the chairman, the different directors. So they're, they're re- powerful and very, very influential. So it's, it's sort of with COVID, I think, changed things a bit in terms of the HR fraternity. So, okay, so that was exciting. And I mean, how was it to sell to a standard bank? I suppose it's every tech tech's dream to sell to, and we're speaking to Lance, and he's also sold to standard bank as well, some of his company. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there are some fantastic benefits um, of working with a bank uh, once I have an equity stake in you. Um, I think I, I did another podcast about two months ago, and, and the analogy I used in that was to say, banks are a little bit like battleships. Um, it's they're, they're very they're very like cumbersome and slow to turn, and it's they're 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 not the the nimble like little boats on the water. But once they've turned um, and they've got your guns at you, uh, that's not a predicament that you want to be in, and they they carry a lot of momentum with them. So the the, the partnership we have with Sunbank is, is really helpful and meaningful in, in that sense. Selling to them was an interesting um, experience. Um, uh, banks that do a lot of M&A and obviously know how to negotiate well. <laughs> so uh, that, that was an interesting year. Not as good as theirs. Um, yeah. <laughs> But um, I mean, the, the process was was quite a long one. They do a, a fairly big due diligence. Um, they make sure that that what they are buying into is is in fact what they um, what their expectation is. So um, it was a it was a very good learning experience for me. And what would you do differently? I mean, if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking at doing a deal with a big bank or a big multinational, what would you what would your advice be to other entrepreneurs, or what's the learnings you sort of got from that deal? Um, I mean, hindsight's uh, uh, twenty twenty, right? So yeah. uh, there, there's always going to be something that that I would do differently. But I think what I would do differently always depends on my current frame of mind, not necessarily a, a, a general item that um, is is prolonged for for life. Like it's um, if you ask me this question next year, I'll I'll have a different answer. Yeah. Um, it's the, the only advice there is to, to do what is best for the company and, and suits what your objectives are the best in that moment. Um, don't, don't overcomplicate it. Um, get some money and uh, make mm-hmm. sure that the, the team is, is looked after. Sure. I, I, we, at Africa Tech Week last year, we had um, Zachariah George speaking, and he actually mentioned quite an interesting study. He was saying that organizations that partner with fintech, you know, with banks or insurance companies, they have an 85% success rate because of the scale and the volume of the customer base with these banks. Um, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that, that it really helped to, to just accelerate your growth? If so it's not so much just the money and it's that, it's, it's, it's all the things it comes with. Yeah, and, and not just that. Um, you have a, a, an industry um, an industry weight behind you. So, um, I mean, we, we deal a lot with the payment regulator and, and I think the payment regulator in during COVID and, and definitely in the next few years is going to have their hands full because um, fintech startups are a dime a dozen and people are just simply not following the rules. Um, 
but to have a, a, a strong, um, essentially Africa's biggest bank behind you um, yeah. as you're scaling and as regulators start poking into exactly how you're configured, how you plug into the national payment system, having them vouch for you in that forum is of significant value. And then yeah. obviously just big banks come with, 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 with big customer bases. Um, and for them to market your product to, to their bases um, is something that the, the cost of acquisition for your customers is just going to be much lower than your competition. So that, that's a, 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 an immediate win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we were talking earlier and you were saying you're working your socks off and I can well believe it. There must be a lot happening and big opportunities. And you're saying you're getting funding, all those sorts of things. But also one of the things that we sort of spoke about before is you're in a very, you know, you, you, you're doing some great things. You're the top guy in the organization. Um, but, but often in life, it's not around just success, success, success. There's a lot of failures and challenges and things that sort of happened in your life that sort of drove you to have that ambition and drive to wake up when you're feeling tired and you're like, just want to pack it in. What's, what's driving you? What's, what's, what's getting Chris up in the morning? What's making him scale this business uh, the way you're doing it? Um, I think what's, what's getting me up in the morning is um, that I don't have blockout blinds in, in my room, which I definitely <laughs> need to get. It's getting darker now though, Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think I've, I've I mean, I, I'm, in no means um, some industry um, leader um, or, or thought leader, but I, I've always um, just tried to find these little things that I can pick at uh, that motivate me. Um, and oftentimes it's, um, it's just finding something that really annoys me um, that I just want to solve. Um, and that, that normally gets me a bit frustrated and, and it's something that becomes this underlying objective that I have to fix. Um, and, and so that's, that's really been um, the, the way in, in which I've always found like short-term motivation. But mm-hmm. uh, over time, I've tried to, to find a, a few ways of motivating myself in the longer term. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm getting better at that. And I think where, where I'm at at the moment, um, where I work with a fantastic um, senior management team at Snapscan is kind of just learning from them to see what motivates them. And uh, I think young entrepreneurs that, that head into to tech um, oftentimes do things very loosely um, without a lot of structure. Mm. Um, and we, we don't often take the time to just do a retro and understand why we're demotivated uh, by, by what we're chasing. And, and it's something that I've just done a lot lately and um, being able to understand the, the motivation that structure brings, like just like actually taking the time and documenting on piece of paper exactly what the objectives are, um, doing OKRs in detail, having these discussions with the rest of your team. Um, and then you find that that your motivation aligns with the people around you, um, and that that in itself is a powerful uh, motivation. Um, but I mean, I still oftentimes wake up in the morning and go look at my calendar and just go, I just don't want to do this. Um, and then I, I mean, before COVID, I would just drive into the Karoo for two days and um, get out of uh, out of cell phone re- reception. Yeah. Um, but nowadays, I 
try to squeeze in a run uh, in, in Table Mountain. Uh, and if I can't do that, I just kind of suck it up and pull up my socks. And yeah, put your man shoes on. I get it. So, I mean, um, it's quite an interesting story of yours. You know, you, you worked as a CFO and you became a CEO. And we've, we, we worked with Cycle a couple of years ago and did a conference that was packed out, actually. Because I think there's this, there's this huge amount of CFOs in South Africa, particularly, who become the CEOs. And it's like, it's, it's become like a, something that's very aspirational. How did you find that? How did you find that transition from that CFO role to the CEO role? Uh, scary. <laughs> um, so, so the context behind that was really that um, the, the, the initial founding team of Snapscan's uh, earnout period for, for their shares that they had sold um, had come up. And so um, they, they all kind of wanted to do something else. They're doing uh, f- phenomenal things these days. Um, and, you know, this, this was really one year into, well, one and a half years into my stint um, at Snapscan. And I, I'd seen the, the phenomenal growth and the potential of the product. And, and at the time, I just didn't believe that we had reached the peak. Um, I was very much of the opinion that we were still starting. Um, and I... You know, as, as someone that had worked in finance, it was just refreshing to work in a in a tech industry um, and get involved with with the actual strategy and, and management of the team, um, understanding the the product objectives, um, working with with phenomenal people at Standard Bank. So that's kind of the the reason why I thought, well, look, I'll I'll, I'll put up my hand and do this. Um, the the transition was interesting because um, I'd worked a lot with Quibus, but that doesn't mean that um, I had trained um, as a CEO for, for the two years that I'd worked with him. There's no MBA for uh, being a CEO, right? No, you just get thrust into it and you figure it out. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's like I, I saw an interview with Elon Musk the other day where the, the interviewer asked him, what words of encouragement do you have for <laughs> entrepreneurs? And he said, well, if you need words of encouragement, just don't do it. Um, the, the road is littered with failure and disappointment and sometimes, but not guaranteed, a bit of success along the way. Um, and you have to be okay with that. And I think that's kind of the first lesson I had learned in, in the first three months of, of being a CEO. Um, and throughout the process of, of, um, of figuring it out and, and understanding what it what it actually now means to have a number of people reporting to you, to have reporting structures underneath um, those lines of reporting. Just got incredibly lucky with the people that I, I decided to take on the journey with me. Because um, like me, um, there were a bunch of junior people in our company that that really wanted to do meaningful things and, and build the product out to its potential. Um, and so, you know, our COO today at that time used to work in customer experience and, and do tickets of, of people uh, needing assistance um, from a merchant or from a consumer perspective. Um, our, our head of product worked in, in marketing at that time. Um, so in building this team and finding these people, these young people, because I, I get that sense, right? There's so much talent 
both in the country and through young people that sometimes, I mean, you look at the Zuckerbergs, you look at Elon Musk's, they were really young when they started these big, massive companies. So how do we give more opportunities to young people? Culture and competence. Um, we, we just don't have a tradition um, or a, a mindset at Snapscan of hiring um, a, a person in a specific role just because of the university degree that they have. Um, oftentimes, we, we actually like hiring people um, kind of at entry-level roles and progressing them up the chain um, as, they, as they mature as individuals and they learn these different management styles and they, lead, they, they kind of learn leadership within our company, which means that there's a, there's a connection between their, their leadership capability and the culture that, that we want to, um, to drive uh, in our company. So, so that's always exceptionally useful is just understanding the, the culture and, and competence um, perspective. Um, and then thirdly, I think the, the one thing that, that's really helped us and, and helped me is a sense of, or a, a little bit of a naivety. Like I was naive when I walked into this role. If, if I knew how um, challenging it was, I'm not sure at that stage I, I would have jumped at it. And, and the same applies for the, the poor, poor other people I have on my management team. Uh, they were also just naive and now they're here and, and they believe in the mission. So uh, they're not leaving. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I was trying to find out is, is there like a certain capability, like courageousness or, you know, that, that you look for in the people that join SnapScan? Is there, is, you know, do you do like the personality profiling that you're looking for particular personality traits? Discipline? Um, or, I don't know. Yeah. So, so um, we have a number of hiring uh, practices because our, our teams are so dynamic and, and you can't really apply the, the same type of hiring methodology across all of them. Um, but I think if, if I've had to speak about engineering, for example, we, we put them through a number of, um, of competency checks and uh, provide people with solution or problems that they have to find solutions in, uh, in a specific, specific time frame. Um, but they, I, I can't really identify one specific thing. I, I would always bring it back to competence and culture. And culture has a subset um, of items below it. Um, uh, culture is, um, culture, you know, has things like courageousness inside of it. Um, so, so it's very much a collection, but not a tick box process. Sure. I mean, look, when, when I took over this company, I took over from my dad, who was the founder. And I, I was saying to you earlier, there were some challenges with that because there's brothers and sisters and aunties and all that sort of stuff. And I realized that actually, as much as I looked like my dad, I was completely different to him. And I had a different management style and a different way of doing things. And it actually took me a while to get to know myself enough. And that was like seven years ago to get to know myself enough, to be honest with myself, to say, OK, actually, I've got to do this slightly differently to how he ran the organization and set up the organization. Did you find a similar sort of thing? And, and what were the things that you found about yourself? Yeah, I think, um, and, and that's the benefit of, of making some mistakes early on, is, is you, if, if you manage those mistakes well, you learn from them. So, I mean, I made a number of, of mistakes. Um, I was an accountant. Um, I, I didn't necessarily have a, a broad range of people skills. My EQ was... Um, at the level of, of what you would expect from, from someone who works in Excel all day. Um, 
but you know, I, I I've spent a lot of time replaying things to my girlfriend or um, people in my family who I trust, um, and I'd gotten their input in terms of problems that I was facing, um, and that was really valuable because it it gave me my own um, CEO identity um, of what I thought the values were that that this company has to strive for, the way in which I want to engage with people, um, and and just exactly like how how ambitious I want to be with the company um, because we had previously gone into very much a maintenance mode, whereas I was not prepared to stay around for, for a maintenance process. I want to do big things. I think much the same as, as, as you had realized. And then you just realize you can't do the things that your predecessors have done. Um, in order to grow, uh, you have to do things differently. Um, and, and by making those early mistakes, you, you kind of create this gut of, of how to operate. And it's just something that never leaves you. Um, it always changes. And so my, my personality as a CEO, I think, um, will, will keep on changing um, for, for the next few years um, and, and hopefully for the better. For sure. So, I mean, I mean, you talk about, you know, these aspirations and, we, and you said you got some round of funding you're closing, you got some new product launches. I mean, we both know Lance. You're talking about you're doing some some things to identify. So, I mean, can you talk about what your your what your thoughts are? Because I think there's a number of people, probably your age, um, who have gone to university, highly educated, really skilled, competent people who are leaving South Africa, left South Africa. We see it all over Facebook, and and there's those that are staying and really making it work. Um, what, what do you see as uh, opportunities? Are you seeing sort of the rest of Africa? Are you seeing the rest of the world? Um, I, I deal with um, with big corporates, <laughs> um, as you mentioned, and and I, I have the the, the fortunate um, position of also dealing with a number of international corporates um, quite regularly, and it, it's always um, it's it's always encouraging speaking to them and. Seeing their um, their drive to have a presence in Africa, um, so it's 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 always like you don't want to just look at at your counterparts and people that come from the same background and culture as, as you do. Um, it's it's great to get the that affirmation from third parties in foreign uh, markets wanting to break into Africa because they see Africa as um, this this market that is just Right for explosion, mm. um, and and I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I also just think that um, South Africa as a a market, especially in the payment space, is very unique. We have mm. high cell phone um, smartphone penetration. Um, we have a a growing middle class. I think we've we've got massive economic um, challenges ahead of us, but we have a growing middle class of individuals that. Um, are highly efficient at English and are are getting better education, um, and and so that all of those characteristics provides to me an opportunity to serve these people. Um, I think that's one of our big values at Snapscan. We want to build products that serve um, the South African and eventually the the African population um, mm. with with digital products that improve their their lives. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's so funny when I was doing the research and I was trying to, I said to you earlier, I was trying to get personal information on you. It's quite difficult. You're obviously a very personal uh, person, which, which is amazing. But 
One of the things that we did see is the partnerships with like Stellenbosch community through COVID and these rapid um, collaborations. And we were talking about, you know, identify and, and how important is things like collaboration and partnerships with an organization? You know, I mean, you've partnered with big corporates like Standard Bank. How important is it with community groups and other areas? And how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, so... They, they all have different constructs. Um, corporate um, collaboration is is something that I think I'm focused on. I mean, that's that's really my job is to find opportunities to find new clients and, and service them and understand how a product benefits their their base. Um, the the things that we're doing with um, these uh, community ecosystems is what really excites me, and and it always validates the type of products that we're building with the likes of identify where we want to give a user a digital identity um, mm -hmm. and based on, on having um, a trusted digital identity, we can provide them with better services. But um, the, the kind of things that we, we did with um, Visit Stellenbosch, which is an NGO and, and we're doing with Airbnb as a global um, player at the moment in Joburg um, is, is to use our, our um, set of capabilities that exist in our tech stack expose it to a third party and drive an injection of cash into a specific ecosystem, um, uh, ensure that we, we um, incentivize a certain type of spending behavior by users, like you get X, X rand of cash back if you go and spend more than Y rands at following um, uh, restaurants, for example, which is what we did with with and Bosch. Um, and it gives those those um, communities the opportunity to collectively put in money um, mm. as businesses in that community where they don't want the ecosystem to collapse. So you mm. all, you kind of saw in Stellenbosch businesses putting money into this this pool because they didn't want the restaurants to to collapse, which would then mean that the staff at the restaurants lose their jobs and the the ecosystem of that community gets disrupted. Um, and that's where our our product suite is very well tailored to rapidly deploying those solutions and um, kind of spreading money around um, in, in that small little fiscus or, or ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to talk about there, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of research around like the Jewish community and the Muslim community. They, they seem to spend money, I think it's like 10 or 15 times. Every rand that goes into that community gets spent around 10 or 15 times where other communities maybe go in and out. So it's about how do we really build those ecosystems instead of the money channeling out of South Africa or out of those communities as well. And so I, th I thought what you did was not just brilliant, but really needed as well, you know, saving jobs and reinvesting. And so how do we scale that, right, to that sort of thought process to other communities that need it even more? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's one of the things that we're working on at the moment is is how we platform um, these services and, and provide them to to merchants to drive these campaigns on on their own. Um, but until we get there, we're going to be working with with big brands that want to pump money into those ecosystems. Um, and so the one that we're doing with Airbnb is is really cool. Um, we're really just copying and pasting the initiative in Stellenbosch uh, mm -hmm. and and deploying that in in Joburg. Clever, really clever. So, I mean, I mean, one of the things that is fascinating as well is there seems to be a lot of early stage tech entrepreneurs in Cape Town in particular or South Africa that have sort of uh, taken their money and they're reinvesting it back into tech 
in South Africa. I mean, that's saying that there's a lot of opportunities. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing a lot more collaboration with guys here as well in South Africa? Or are you seeing that there's still the darlings are the Airbnbs and the bigger players internationally? Um, I think opportunity is one thing, but the ability to execute on an opportunity is, is a whole different ballgame. Um, and what's really great about South Africa is that we have a very big um, up-and-coming talent pool of young engineers, um, of people that grew up using products like Facebook and Instagram, and then went to study at, at a place like Vega and became a product specialist or a UI or UX designer. I mean, I, I finished my studies in 2010 and I didn't know of any of these um, functions uh, as a, a career. Um, and so South Africa has this fantastic opportunity um, to ensure that we give these people jobs so they don't go overseas, like we lose doctors, uh, for example, every single year. Like we, we train them up, we subsidize the cost of, of getting them into this, this profession and then they leave. Um, we have the ability to execute because uh, we have the talent in South Africa. It's, it's a, it, it would be a, a miss of us to, to waste that opportunity. For sure. And I mean, um, I saw when you're doing the, the whole Stellenbosch app that you, it took you like two weeks. And I think some of you are thinking, I, I've forgotten who the, it might have been Mark Zuckerberg was like, you know, make it and break it. And you're like, well, we can't <laughs> break it because. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I thought that was so funny. But I mean, so how did you, I mean, how, how your principles for iterating and change? Because I think it's quite a, there's an art to it, right? Because you, you've got limited budget, you've got limited time, resources. And so to innovate in this environment is tough. You've got to do it quickly. But at the same time, you've got to do it in compliance with the legal parameters. You, and you're in an unusual situation. You're changing your plane as you're flying it sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, no, we're, we're building the plane as we're flying. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, when we started out, um, the, the funds that, that we were processing was quite low. But today we, we service 67,000 merchants across South Africa um, mm -hmm. with more than a million people using the app. Um, and that means that we process billions of billions of rands. Uh, and so mistakes are extremely expensive um, and they, in rand terms, um, and also in, in terms of reputation, we just can no longer afford to lose money, uh, which makes the, the, the trajectory that we're on very tricky uh, because it means we, we have to keep serving our current base and we have to serve them well, but we also have to kind of move fast and break things. Yeah. Um, which, which is that, that um, juxtaposition we always find ourselves in. Like we, we yeah. want to go back to startup and just like ship something and see what happens. But if we do it now, we might lose, lose a lot of money. So but the way that we overcome that is, um, is to run small beta groups um, to ensure that we can still ship things when they're like 60% done, uh, but we only ship it to, to like the, the friends and family of Snapscan. We start testing yeah. it out do the whole feedback loop, fix things, and, and then only expose it to, to the entire uh, user base. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd imagine, like, there's a lot of books around startups and, you know, 
uh, you know, how to scale or come up with iterations. And then you always got the corporates that are struggling in a lot of ways with that innovation. And I suppose you're in that middle ground now where you're an established company in, in a very, you know, regulated area and you've got to still try and keep up with the startups to innovating and then also align with the compliance of the big corporates, right? So, I mean, how important is something like I saw on your website, App of the Year? Um, how important are things like recognition and that sort of third-party uh, recognition to the organization? That's, um, that's one of the best questions I've ever had. Um, and, and I think, once again, it depends on the life cycle of the company and, and where it's at. Uh, when we started out, the MPN App of the Year Award was massive. It gave us uh, credence and it, it, it affirmed that, that we were this product that was available nationally. Um, and so it gave us good adoption. Um, mm. Today, these kind of um, awards to me are, are very much vanity metrics. Um, and we try to steer, steer clear from, from um, falling into a culture where we, we chase awards and we chase um, recognition from anything that is not uh, related to our, our, our customer um, or the stakeholders that use our product. So for us, the wins are, um, are reflected in our metrics. Uh, so the number of users that use Snapscan, you know, that graph has to go up and to the right. The same goes for the merchants using it and, and the, the total value of transactions being processed. I think that's that's essentially our um, our scorecard and, and our award screen. Um, we want to be liked by our customers, and and that's the only thing we care about. So I was going to ask you, what does success look like, and how do you measure it? But so it's 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 users, it's um, merchants, and it's if it's going up in that way. I mean, you're talking about a big focus for you as people as well. I mean, is it is that sometimes a bit of a challenge to get that right, the people side within the organisation? And then the customer and the and the stakeholder side. How do you how do you communicate that to the team? How do you make sure that you you're balancing that correctly? Culture. Um, we we hire people that are incredibly focused on serving customers and doing so ethically. Um, and and that has been such a win for us. Um, because you you don't then have to impart this this need to serve customers to them. Um, it's something that's being driven at the core of the company and radiates upwards and outwards. And so I'm on a daily basis being influenced as to how I think about customers because of our product team and the way in which they design and the way in which they um, prioritize certain features and functions over others because they are hired to build the best product that they possibly can to service our customer base in an ethical fashion. For sure. And I mean, obviously with Snapcan, you're, you're at the very the, the, the front line. You can see how much sort of the e-commerce industry as a whole is developing in South Africa. And, and, I, and I, what we're seeing is it's really starting to gain some traction now. It looks like some exponential growth, certainly through COVID. But what are the, so, I mean, and I was seeing like, some of the things that we spoke to Centerbank around was that there's some pockets of the market who still don't trust the e-commerce or the online transactions. And there's those that are starting to trust it more. What do you see as the other challenges to growing this e-commerce platform? Is it, is it things like delivery and the logistics partners? Yeah, so 
Look, that topic requires a two-hour conversation and a glass of, of wine, perhaps. Um, <laughs> but, but, I run but in I the mountain. That, yes. <laughs> um, but I think the, the, the time for adoption of digital products and payments is now. Um, people have um, woken up to, to this trend fairly quickly. And it's not just on a consumer side. Merchants themselves have changed the way in which they do business. Um, the, the fantastic thing about South Africa is that the, the, the dominant portion of South African e-commerce payments happen over card rails, uh, which means that, you know, the, the payment is being handled through a, a plastic card or a virtual card that has a, a 16 digit um, number and it's being issued by a bank, uh, and it has Visa or, or MasterCard stamped on it. And, and card rails provide fantastic protection for consumers. So if you buy something on, on the internet and your uh, parcel isn't delivered, you can do a chargeback against that transaction. You can get refunded and you can say, well, I never got my package that I bought on, say, Take-A-Lot. And the, the bank is, is by law obliged to refund you. So the consumer has fantastic protection in this market, uh, which means that if they're operating from a card and, you know, Banking South Africans is not hard. Like most South Africans have have bank accounts these days. Like it's this is not Africa. This is South Africa. We are banked. Um, so so I don't think it's a, a question of doing anything differently in order to drive trust. I think it's just educating consumers more around the payment method that that they do use online. Um, the fact that it is secure and it offers them um, advanced and and better protection than, say, doing an EFT to the merchant. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, you've got the president of the country for many years now who's been talking around, we need to create more jobs, we need to hire people. And what, what I saw certainly working with some of the big international and the corporates was, in fact, they were doing the opposite. They were having to be leaner and meaner. And jobs weren't necessarily the solution to econo- driving economic prosperity. And what I saw is, is how do we actually drive entrepreneurship? Um, and how do we build entrepreneurs? And how do we have an environment that does that? I mean, are you seeing on the platform that there is this increase in, in side hustles? Are you seeing that there is an increase in entrepreneurship? Um, what, what are you seeing? Is, is there data there that's supporting this sort of improvement? Or Yeah, I mean, I think the sad thing about like uh, a hustler is that you have to have that mentality. Uh, and so... Uh, we, unfortunately, we can't say to the entire nation, well, just, just hustle harder. Like some people just inherently have that drive to find the side hustle, make things work and make, make ends meet. Um, but, but we definitely have seen a fantastic uptick in, in our signups over the past year. Uh, so we had a record year last year and we, we're essentially in, in number terms having a record year, uh, record month, month on month. So we're, we're growing kind of on a monthly basis. Um, and so, sadly, what we saw last year is that we lost about uh, a third of our merchants. Um, and I think those are merchants and, and businesses that have closed and, and, and they're just not coming back. Um, but we've, we, we've replaced them uh, with new, new people that are starting new businesses during COVID, finding new ways of, of making money and, and hustling. Um, yeah. And that's, that's across a number of segments. That's brick and mortar, markets, uh, e-commerce. Um, people doing yoga online and just doing a really good marketing around it. And um, those kind of guys are really doing well. And we're seeing 
a very good turnover from from those type of businesses that that just operate quickly and, and change the way in which they do things. I'd love to find out, like, it would be great to see what are the sort of the growth markets. So like you're saying, like yoga, is it that, is it those course type businesses? Is it the, yeah, like working from home? Um, so it's obviously people innovating. It would be, it would be great to sort of unpack that and, and see, you know, where people are spending their energies, effort, and, and where they're trusting to, to purchase, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, at, at some stage, I can definitely share some numbers with you guys. Um, we we look at them in quite a lot of detail, uh, so it's not necessarily for third-party viewing, uh, but we will definitely put it into to some uh, some content that that you can look at. Yeah, I think it's great to see that. I think people are looking at. It. I mean, we're seeing a big digital transformation. I think that's what we're seeing. And and is it about? educating people on setting up these sort of platforms as well. That's one of the things that I saw previously there. It seems to be coming more and more. There's more courses on explaining and showing people because I think there is a desire. People do want to make more money. They do want to, you know, generally work for them. So they want their freedom, right? They want their freedom to be economically empowered, but sometimes they don't know. Um, and and yeah. maybe there's those sorts of things as well. Um, it was, you know, I, I'm hesitant of time because I know that you've got stack meetings um and i'm hoping they're all going well um it was really great to to speak to you and meet you i think that um we, we're definitely going to have another one probably at the end of the year when you've got all your rounds of funding and new initiatives uh implemented and i think it'd be great to get some sort of data as well and share it with our community through our newsletter on some of the areas that you're seeing there's there's growth and sort of uh, purchases e-commerce and that sort of stuff Absolutely. It's, it's been really fun uh, chatting to you, Rob. Yeah, and, and hopefully when you're feeling fit, we can go for a run-up uh, Lion's Head or, or something. And uh... Yeah, I, I'm going to have to drive behind you for the next two months, but um, uh, that's some good motivation to get back into it. <laughs> for sure. Thanks so much. It was, it was great having you on. Thanks, Rob. Have a good one. Bye.